This is the Red on Red podcast on redfm.ie. This week on the podcast, we're talking with blogger, media producer and podcaster Owen O'Sullivan, a.k.a. The Point of Everything.
Hours with On My Tongue from their EP of the same name and Yankee with Are You Alright? This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast dropping every Wednesday via redfm.ie as well as iTunes, Google Podcasts and other platforms. My name is Mike McGrath-Brien and for the next hour or so, it's a little bit of a crossover episode this week. We're joined in studio by blogger, media producer and podcaster Owen O'Sullivan, aka The Point of Everything. Owen, how are you buddy? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for thanks for having me in. We're going to get meta, are we? Podcast on podcast action. I think so. But as of right now, you are incredibly busy. You've been appearing at a couple of different festivals over the course of the past year throughout Cork. And the Point of Everything podcast has slowly morphed from something that complemented an existing website to something that kind of exists on its own. How's it been getting the Point of Everything podcast kind of off the ground? And how have you found the reception to it as a life thing? It's actually been about three years now since I've been doing the podcast. I was thinking about it earlier in the week. Um, it was myself, Ashling O'Reardon and Keelan Sherlock who actually started the podcast back three years ago. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just something that I wanted to do because I like podcasts. That's why I started the Point of Everything blog in the first place. I liked the idea of writing about music and stuff. So the podcast was like, I really like talking about music. I really like listening to podcasts. Let's meld the two together. And so it kind of just takes a while to um, uh, like get the idea off the ground and like actually formulate the idea. I think that that's a problem which a lot of podcasts which start out have. It's like they have one idea 
but that idea usually melts over the course of a couple of weeks and it's like it's hard to actually keep going with something mm. you know if you're trying to make it a regular thing you know trying to do it weekly it's hard to get three people in a room together every week talking about like the latest the latest happenings in music which was the initial idea of the podcast and obviously Keelan and Ashling are two of the busiest people in Cork music and they have been for the past like five eight ten years yeah so um they they were just kind of too busy so I was like well I can kind of end the podcast after like 15 episodes that took like six months to go or I can keep going and so I just kind of kept going and started interviewing um interviewing different musicians and then I kind of landed on the idea of what it should be it should be in-depth music discussions with mostly independent uh, Irish acts and so that was three years ago we're up to episode 93 yeah I think at the moment so episode 100 is just around the corner which kind of is a nice milestone to have what have you got uh, lined up for the uh, special occasion I, I was thinking about it I like you could do like a Seinfeld thing of just like the highlights of the hundred episodes today, but that would include me having to go uh, through all one hundred episodes and try and pick yeah. out the interesting <laughs> bits. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't do that much work with the podcast. So I don't know. It'll be an interview with someone that I really like. I was thinking maybe Stevie G would be great. Red FM's Stevie G. He's absolutely. Uh, I haven't talked to him yet, and I think he's just a font of knowledge and. Yeah, I think he'd be great to talk to. So I might put it out there. I might put the feelers out there for episode 100, Stevie G. Stevie, if you're listening, get on to Owen shortly about the uh, Point of Everything podcast. There's something to be said for clip shows um, for a podcast, I think. But I think it's generally like if you're creating content on a weekly basis, it's very definitely kind of Christmas, New Year, just to kind of, you know, keep people that are consistently engaging with your podcast engaged for that little bit in that you can kind of create a sense of the narrative that you have created over the past year or so and then kind of wipe the slate clean a little bit in terms of what you've taken in in the editing process as well slightly um spoilers for the red on red christmas week special um so let's dial it back a little bit on you've been dancing about architecture for the bones of about 10 years now i did a documentary last year for my master's degree where we kind of sat down a little bit and talked about your experience as a music journalist that's up now on youtube time changes music media in ireland you discussed that you were kind of immersed on the consumption end of media from a very early age how did you come across music journalism as a young fellow, and what were your earliest experiences with it? Uh, I, well, I had always been into um, journalism, you know, like even reading the newspapers, the sports pages of the newspapers when I was eight, nine, ten. So that just reading was always there for me, reading the media. And you just get into music in your mid-teens. That's what, that's what happened to me. And then you just find all of these music books and music magazines. Enemy was quite big for me because it was like 2003. And so the indie landfill stuff was, uh, was happening. <laughs> that's, uh, that's something that you only see with hindsight. At the time, you're like, yeah. these bands are all amazing. And it's only now, like 15 years later, when your musical palette has just expanded so much, you're actually like, well, they all just kind of sounded the same. And there's only... A a couple bands that you know you'd still listen to but then some of them are still making a killing like the kooks are still one of the biggest bands around playing pigeon two detectives. nights at the olympics pigeon detectives still really touring big. yeah editors as well who were uh, headlined independence last year i think yeah so i mean and a couple of years before that yeah those were well i never liked the kooks <laughs> no. but um yeah they they're all bands who are there so you, you just kind of get behind some of them and enemy were championing them a lot and so it just kind of grew from there. I like the idea of writing about music, you know, um, and yada, 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 did a journalism master's in UL in 2009. And the pod, the 
blog the point of everything started out of that it was like well I can't just expect to go into a newspaper and say like hey I want to write about music and again that kind of comes back to the idea of someone starting a podcast you have to like have experience of doing something you know you have to like develop your ideas and so the point of everything just started as a general writing about music thing and eventually that morphed into uh, just writing about Irish music and you know kind of giving it a different uh, specific outlet where did the name come from? What oh, is the point I don't of know. Don't ask me. It was, uh, again, that's like something that you just, I just want to get something up there. So it's, uh, eventually, it was Stevie G who was just constantly calling me TPOE on the street. I just turned around after Stevie would just, TPOE. T- he just shout out TPOE. So I've just kind of gone with that now. The point of everything doesn't really mean anything. While you're at UCC, before you do your journalism masters, you're involved with the UCC Express, am I correct? Uh, yeah, I was doing a little bit of like album reviews and stuff like that. It wasn't anything major, but it kind of gives you gives you an idea of what's involved. You get CDs before they're released. You get to hear this different kind of music and be in the meetings where uh, the newspaper comes together. So it was really only the album reviews that I was interested in. But I like the idea of you know getting the free stuff. Exactly, and I think that's the kind of the the hook for a lot of young music journalists very early on obviously but this is the thing that we kind of need to discuss a little bit in that you know the barrier of entry for music journalism has at once never been so I won't say low but it's it's very accessible nowadays just via so many different outlets and yet transitioning over to making it a part-time living or a full-time living has become increasingly difficult um, UCC Express and places like that obviously function as a very important point of entry for young music journalists. I suppose, what pieces of advice would you give to somebody kind of in secondary school or college that is beginning to kind of put together an idea of what they want and they might think that music commentary is part of it? I I think just starting it is the hardest thing. Um, You know, like actually writing about music and trying to find your own voice. Um, There are people on Twitter who are vastly more experienced than me who are doling out advice. Laura Snapes is the Guardian's deputy music editor, is probably one of the best music journalists around. She's someone who I would read everything that she writes and I would like follow her Twitter because she's just full of great tips. So just starting out and she uh, said, just read as many music books as you can. Like get your hands on anything and everything just so that you're broadening your palette and that you're able to see the wood from the trees that you're not just listening to you know white boys playing indie music from the middle classes you know I think that that's kind of developed from you know the 2003's Franz Ferdinand and all that stuff so it's just kind of broadening broadening what you're listening to and being able to think critically and analytically about what's happening um I I think actually writing is I think in Ireland we don't have that many places where you can actually get paid so it is often something particularly when you're starting out like you're just doing it because you want to do it Mm -hmm. and I think oftentimes blogs and websites and stuff like that there is a bit of a lack of um, editorial oversight or something you know people aren't ready for their work to be up on a big website they need someone to shape them and I think that a lot of websites need to do that a little bit better obviously you're onto something there regarding the broadening of tastes and the ability to kind of set aside one's own personal biases etc but yet the Irish blogosphere kind of 
occupies a very important space between kind of that first infrastructural media support that a band will happen across before other things. An editor at a magazine that I used to write for uh, referred to me as a cheerleader because I hadn't quite mastered the transition between blogosphering and kind of plugging why someone should listen to a band as opposed to, you know, a critical analysis. Kind of what's your take on what places, not even entry-level blogs, but rather, what's your take on the difference between showing that infrastructural support and then making the transition to formal music journalism that benefits and develops. Yeah, I get, I mean, I Irish guess I only write about uh, music that I do like. So I guess I'm kind of a little bit of a cheerleader in that respect. There was a period last year where I tried to write about like all of the new music that was coming out or a lot of the new music that was uh, coming out in a given week, good, bad or ugly, whatever I thought about it. Yeah. And it was just, it's so hard to think critically on a weekly basis about like 9, 10, 11, 12 tracks um, and like straight away though people probably the people in the band saw that I was given out about like this music or something and they were like why are you doing that? I was like oh it's just something that I'm trying and it's almost like not worth the grief but it's it's hard you know but um, I, I don't know I'm, I'm able to critique gigs I'm able to critique albums if I have to put on my critical hat I'm able to do it but um, when I'm writing for the blog, I'm writing usually about music that I like. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm usually fair with the stuff that I write about, that I'm not, you know, just writing about this because it's like from Cork or something like that. You know, I yeah. think I'm writing about it because it's good. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the blogosphere as well as print media. But coming up, you've got two more tunes from a playlist that you've chosen for us. Uh, a little bit earlier on, we had The Altered Hours and Yankee. And coming up now... We have Shukra's new single, Don't Wanna Doubt You. They're such a great band. They're they're one who've been around for ages and it seems like they're just kind of really, really figuring out what they want to do now and it definitely sounds like they found it. And you've got Anamika with Arbor. I don't know if she's actually from Cork. She's from Wexford, I think, is she? She's regular enough that... Yeah, yeah. She, we've claimed her as one of our own. I she's, think so. She's brilliant. She has such an amazing voice and she has just such a great uh, onstage persona as well. I love watching her. We'll get straight into it. So this is Shukra with Don't Wanna Doubt You here on Red on Red.
be the first to say I ain't jealous, but it's a man who's haunting me. Secretly clouding my judgment against you, I guess it's healthier for me. Cherish yourself, sister. Take a moment and get close to me now, but barely touching. And stay patient enough to make me wanna make you wanna make me wanna make it.
Anamika with Arbor here on Red on Red. Back in studio with Owen O'Sullivan, a.k.a. The Point of Everything. And before we went to music, Owen, we were talking a little bit about um, how it was to put together a blog in the late noughties, early tens, whatever you want to, whatever way you want to put it, as well as some basic advice on putting stuff together, what the difference was between the blogosphere and music press. As independent media has matured and as different platforms have come up, obviously, We've went from calling Twitter microblogging to a whole environment, a whole working environment of social media, of, you know, the reinforced importance of mailing lists in a post-GDPR environment, as well as obviously the importance of pushing content from your own website. It's really a changed model from the days we could just put up a website and then encourage your friends to kind of check in nightly for new content, etc. Obviously, it's a much different you know, digital ecosystem to the way it was maybe 10 years ago where you have so many different other platforms to relay content out to or try and attract a readership from. What has your take been on how music journalism has changed, whether on a larger scale or locally, um, as social media has developed into a complementary presence to websites? Uh, I, th- I think that, um, like, just talking about music websites like Pitchfork and Nile or Nine and stuff like that, I think that there was a kind of an, I- an idea that you have to cover everything and be all to all people. But I think it's become more uh, specific and more um, direct, I suppose, in one way. Um, you know, it's it's just about writing about the music that you like and people can figure it out pretty quickly when you're not really doing that. I think Pitchfork is kind of changed. Like, just to talk about Pitchfork and kind of the bigger... Uh, music sites I think uh, that they've they they were sold and they've become part of the um, New Yorker group of magazines I can't think of what the overall name of it is yeah. but um, uh, th- they've kind of done more clickbaity type stuff but also and, and I, I still read their reviews I think that y- you should try and read as many reviews as you can because that's the way that you find out you know like influences and you find out about new music um, but they also do really, really good long reads, and the long reads are something that uh, 
I, I, I think gives um, music websites and worth because it's very easy to write like 100 words about this song is out by this artist this is why you should listen to it. but actually going further and doing a really really good long album review is really full of worth and it's something that I've kind of decided that you ne- I need to kind of do more of but again it comes back to time and when you're not being paid for your work or you're not making money out of it you're like there's there's only so much you can do so so I guess that that's how it happens as for like music journalism in general I mean YouTube is there video is there and it's that's what people seem to be clicking on I don't really click on it that often to be perfectly honest though I'm still more of a, a words person that's what I enjoy about the success of people like the needle drop for example as a as a look at where critique is going yeah i've never i don't think i've ever watched any of his videos because i'm just not really that interested it seems like i don't know is it clickbait or is it trolling or what would you call him i'm not really that interested but then i do listen to other podcasts as well you know like i think um no encore does a really really good critical analysis of albums and i think hello it's dave really, it's really like well thought out and stuff like that so they do really good um stuff like that but just youtube i, I don't really um get into myself but I've, I've tried you know i'm thinking about do people want to just see a video of me talking with someone else just in a room with no cuts for 40 minutes i'm like maybe people want to see that um you know I'm, yeah you're always thinking and you always have to like try new ideas and kind of push yourself and make sure that you're keeping up because it's very easy to get left behind very quickly it these is. days um, we were mentioning their long reads and long form as a means of escaping the breaking news cycle and kind of making things a lot easier both for music journalists and for the audience within that may be exhausted now after the last decade or so of a constant feed of content and that's a nice seg to talking about your stint in print with We Play Here that ran for two issues between 2013 2014 ish <laughs> ish um, not the conventional magazine format either in that it wasn't running advertising it wasn't running a whole bunch of stuff it was more along the lines of like bookazines or yeah it was just something that I, I went through a phase where I was like geez Ireland had a great zine culture where where is all the physical stuff gone that just goes back to my idea of like reading enemy every week reading all of the music magazines and soccer magazines every week um, but that that's why I wanted to do something like that and try it I don't really think of it as a business plan that's why there's no advertising in there because it was like can you actually just do it without all that and it, it kind of makes it more art ish or more kind of a collector's item I suppose but obviously it doesn't make sense um, for the wallet but yeah that's what you go for the first issue of we play here was just about trying to track how great the cork scene was at one time again you're probably looking a little bit through rose tinted glasses but I think it was a really good magazine I thought that it covered really good acts it was I think it was 19 cork bands all interviewed and given like uh, bespoke music uh, photography by Breed O'Donovan and you know everyone was learning it was only five people who were four uh, issue one was four you know it was five people mm. um, three writers a designer and a photographer and I think that we created something that that's really nice to hold in the hand I don't know if I'd go back and read it uh, you know um, as something that I've done myself I probably cringe through it like I cringe through most of the stuff that uh, I do you know listening yeah. back to your own voice or having to transcribe it you're like oh my god what was I saying you only want to do as much as you have to yeah but I, 
I, I thought it was re- it was like a good kind of snapshot of what was happening at the time and Altered Hours were the main band that I wanted to feature. I was like, if I can't, if they won't do a nice long interview with me, then I don't know if I actually want to do the magazine because that's how much uh, I... I I just think that they're great. They're such a good band and they're still such an amazing band. So exciting. We played um, one of the tracks from their EP earlier and they're just a band who just constantly excite you. It is a testament to their continued evolution as well as that of the Cork scene really because the Altered Hours are now kind of past the 10-year mark of existing and they're only now starting to really get into it. We were talking with Cahill a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast and just talking about their process and talking about how things have changed for them Going from, you know, walking around Cork and being able to identify uh, derelict houses and who owned them and let's see, can we turn them into a space to rehearse and etc. Almost the successes and trials and tribulations of the last of artists of the last 10 years has also really been that of the city in that they've had to change as the city has changed around them. Process is important. Obviously, anything that you're creating, there needs to be a thought out process from once the initial spark has lit. And you mentioned the process of issue one with We Play Here. It was a skeleton crew. It was getting things together, just as you mentioned earlier, as well, the sitting down and putting together of a newspaper. For those listening that aren't really au fait with the production process of a piece of print journalism and only see kind of the thing that comes into their hands, maybe take a few minutes to talk about how an idea goes from zero to 100 by going through We Play Here. I guess it's just again developing the idea it's like okay I want to interview Altered Hours and make it into a magazine what do I want the magazine to be about it's going to be um, you know a snapshot of the Cork scene is what it turned out to be I don't know if that was the idea at the very start or if I just wanted to do a music magazine but it felt very natural to try and do it in issue 2 it felt more like okay we know what we're doing it it became more of an Irish thing it was Irish Axe interviewed it was kind of Irish video makers interviewed as well and there was a couple of general features in there too so you know it's just sticking at something will give you this whole new outlook on what you want to do and I mean the actual making of a magazine you can find free software you can use Adobe InDesign which I don't I I actually didn't design it it was Brad who designed it and did a really good job he even created like a new font for one of the features in issue two of the magazine I think so um, that's like a bespoke thing that was done for the magazine it took so long it was like oh my god are you sure you want to give all this time to this but uh, like just writing a feature and seeing it in print even now it still kind of is um, I don't know what the word is you know it's just something different to seeing your name on screen you know I can put up you know 10 words on the point of everything if I wanted but then you actually have to think a little bit more if you want it in a newspaper or magazine or something like that and then you pick it up and read it and you're like oh this must this must be good it's in it's literally it's in, in my hands yeah and that that's what I felt with with the magazine it kind of gave new life to the writing mm. as well it's something that I would like to see more of but again it just doesn't really make commercial sense people aren't paying for so much these days that they used to be they're certainly not paying for music magazines and the few that are still on the shelves are doing a heck of a job to stay there both of our day jobs are involved in print and obviously the the circumstances are different now than they would have been before a lot of print music magazines have obviously changed and changed with the times and kind of moved over to a more features laden role because they can't keep up with the news cycle what do you think 
print needs to do over the next five years, do you think, to re-establish itself as a cultural thing outside of that breaking news cycle space? Do you see it as a more design-led thing? Do you see it as more led off with just hard content? Where do you see it? Uh, just in terms of music magazines? or In terms of music magazines, but I guess we could apply the situation elsewhere. Like, I mean, like the, co- the quality is still there. The interviews are still there, but it's just trying to get people to part with their cash just seems like it's so much harder these days because you can not buy a newspaper and still have all the news online so it's I don't know if you need to take everything away so that people get a sense of what life would be like if they don't support these endeavours mm-hmm. um, and see what you're left with but it, it's just a hard thing I'm not really sure what the answer is but I mean the quality is still there newspapers uh, are, are still doing great I have to say that um, um, I, I think it gives you a new aspect on stuff it's very easy to become tunnel visioned when you're just following the news via Twitter whereas like in a newspaper what I always say is you see like various different types of stories over you know the uh, 15 or so stories that would be on two broadsheet pages in a magazine in a music magazine you're being exposed to new music and old music that you might not have come across before or given new um, uh, looks on a certain band that you might not have known about as well so I, I mean pick up Key Magazine pick up Uncut Magazine pick up Mojo they're still doing really really good interviews Q mm-hmm. is Q is a great magazine again Laura Snipes is who I mentioned earlier is doing brilliant work uh, in The Guardian um, probably mostly online she's probably a journalist who I only know from online but she's just doing really really good stuff and you kind of want to support her I don't think the answer is Patreon you know I mean certain people have tried yeah I mean Roisin Murphy I think is one of the most interesting people that I've thought about in the past while her kind of Twitter tirade about like demanding attention and yeah. stuff and it's like she's someone who's been around since 98 99 I think the last 20 years yeah yeah so and she's really struggling now to like uh, get coverage for her new music she's doing a new single release every month of the summer up until September I think it's four 12 inch releases that she's doing they've all been recording she's directing videos herself for the four songs on the four main songs on the um, split single release yeah. but she's struggling to get content as well uh, coverage as well and like getting new eyes to the videos and new um, followers and new people who'll actually part with their cash because people just aren't doing it it's it's a thing that everyone is struggling with and again like I mean if you take uh, it's something that's just going to become more manifest in the next couple of years Patreon is what people said to her on Twitter that she should do set up a Patreon so that her fans would uh, like her I think that there is a pressure that also comes with that of like I have to give like quality content to these people every month or every week to make sure that they give up their two or three euros a week buy her music Uh, I subscribe to the Second Captains podcast they do a good Patreon but it's also because like uh, I, lis- I would listen to their podcast seven days a week I would listen you know yeah. they do it five days a week and fair play to them for making it work but uh, I, I just think that th- there's only so much money that you're willing to part with um, to support these things and if you're not seeing like oh Roshi Murphy hasn't done anything you know in the past month I think I might just cancel that for yeah. a while it's like I don't know I think the pressure on artists is um increasing exponentially and I'm not really sure 
where it's going to be honest it does Roisin Murphy have it in her like mentally to do another album and kind of go through it again and try and like do any of us or would any of us in that situation yeah it's um it's tough I mean like if if you set up a Patreon and you decide to like geez you need time to think to come up with new ideas and new mm. creative ideas but you've got this pressure on you that you have to deliver something uh, I, I just don't think mentally it's uh, healthy. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the art of podcasting. Uh, but right now, we'll go back to some tunes. You've got St. Keelan with I'll Be a Fool. I think uh, Keelan is one of the most talented guys around. Um, he does Shaker Him as well, which I really like. But I think it's solo stuff. Uh, I, th- I think this song is one of my like favourite songs of the past couple of years. I think it's great and I think he's such a good songwriter. I just want him to record more music and put it out there. Is that a lad that you think would benefit from maybe doing a single a month via Patreon? Oh, jeez, I don't know. He could. He could easily do that because do he's it. probably got so many tunes. Um, but I-, I think that that's also another aspect that we could easily delve into for 15 minutes of mm. like it's so easy to put out um, you know like what you're thinking that day or something online on a blog mm. or it's so easy to put your music up online but it's like you probably shouldn't you should try and hold it back it's something that I think young bands might struggle with if you're starting out in a band and you're like okay we've got our first song let's put it up on SoundCloud let's put it up on Spotify that's there like you know and maybe it's just not ready to be there yet but they grew up with that so that's yeah. what they think immediately as opposed to let's wait for somebody to give it the seal of approval and then do CDRs yeah but uh, I, I mean holding stuff back is almost harder to do in 2018 that's the uh, that's the art of subtlety regardless we'll get into it so this is St. Keelan with I'll Be A Fool For You here on Red On Red
Colm K. Well, Good Friday is here on Red on Red. Still joined the studio by Owen from The Point of Everything. And we were talking a little bit about the development of Irish music media post-2008 to where in the last decade or so we've gone from blogging to a whole biosphere of digital options, one of which is podcasting. So get on your meta hats. Owen, you've been developing the Point of Everything podcast and we opened the show a little bit with the discussion of it and how it's changed over the last three years. But in the last year or so, it's really come into its own in terms of tying in with festivals, tying in with live appearances, which has been another kind of major structural change for podcasting. We've seen the cultural changes surrounding podcasts in the last year and a half, two years in the Irish mainstream. To now we have the Dublin Podcast Festival. Podcast tapings are a major part of the spoken word offerings of most festivals. You talked a little bit about the development of the TPOE podcast. But kind of what's your process for laying down a couple of weeks of ideas of content, pursuing interviews and then packaging them up into a finalised podcast? Um, the like going going back to the start of the podcast. I think I think it was before I started the podcast. I had interviewed Connor from Villagers, who's like my favorite musician, and I just felt that it was on my part. I felt that it was a bit of a disappointing interview because I didn't think that I was good enough, or I had gotten stale with uh, interviewing. So that was why the idea of interviewing Irish artists on a weekly or slightly regular basis anyway came from and I feel like I'm at a point now where I'm a lot more relaxed doing the interviews and I think that that's the best way to be when you're interviewing someone listening is probably the hardest part you can do when you're interviewing someone because if if they stop suddenly you're like uh I don't know what I was going to say next and it's very it kind of loses its flow whereas I think you can definitely hear when people are listening to a podcast like I mean I'm self-taught in that respect you know i mean you just do tons and tons of interviews and eventually you get good at them where i'm at the point now where i'm pretty happy with how i do an interview um i you still have to do the research you still have to know like if i'm interviewing a band you have to know like what their last release was what it was about what they're what they're planning now what they're doing and being able to just kind of follow the route of the interview they like i was listening back transcribing an interview i did with uh kathy davy relatively recently she released uh, an album live at unitarian church earlier in the year to coincide with record store day she released it on vinyl but she talked really interestingly about kind of her nerves that she still gets on the live stage and I thought it was so interesting that an artist who's three albums in who's had a number one album who's like performed around the world is still gets nervous to the point where she doesn't enjoy doing live gigs so I I thought that was really interesting and it's like kind of you just learn to kind of push and make sure people are happy to divulge what they're able to divulge probably the best interview that I've ever done is with Paddy Hanna uh, earlier this year great Dublin musician we did it at his gaff in uh, Hoth he's released um, my favourite album of the year uh, so far frankly I mutate and he just talked really well about his struggles in the past couple of years of overcoming depression and like changing up his sound completely and it's just like you you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable when they're talking to but you know that you're doing something well when they feel okay to say what's happened to them in the past it's a hard thing to do but uh once i I just feel happy where i'm at now you're obviously you know when you're interviewing somebody you've got the questions pacing through your head you're keeping an eye on everything that you're listening to while also listening to the artist and looking for different 
conversational branches to go out on to try and get that you know human aspect of the interview as opposed to just the plugging the next thing or asking about the creative process. But in recent times, you've also had to balance that with appearing on stage. Uh, the point of everything has become something of a regular fixture on local arts festival billing. How did that start to come about? And what's your process then for not only beating the balance of you know keeping an interview going, but also presenting yourself on stage and presenting a, a line of questioning on stage that will transmute also to a live audience as opposed to just the, the podcast experience? I think one of my least favourite things, both in uh, written journalism and audio journalism, for lack of a better word, is when the presenter or the writer kind of is there too much. I feel like I'm facilitating the other person, whether that be in print or whether that be on the podcast or on the stage you're like you want to barely be there sort of thing you want to ask questions that will elicit a good answer which will elicit a good response uh from the reader from the listener so you just have to kind of gauge that it's tough um doing it in the live sphere i've done a i do kind of um the podcast where it's music and i've done kind of general books ones as well i've I help out with uh, Crosstown Drift. This was the third year of it this year. And so I did a couple of interviews on stage at the Crawford that day. And it was with three authors two times in like an hour and a half. So I was kind of a bit exhausted after that. But it's all, it. you have to keep it kind of more general as well, I think, in terms of a live audience. They might not know who that person is on stage. They might not know what, you know, you're talking about, like a specific book or a specific album. They might not know what it is so just trying to keep it general whereas when you're doing the podcast I, I just kind of think that you know you have to go where you want to go and so I feel like I have quite an in-depth knowledge about this person and I want to go there with them whereas on the stage it's kind of like you have to take a little bit of a step back I guess and ask more generalized questions as the means of consumption change for so many audio heads whether that be radio whether that be music specifically um, the means of accessing audio have become that much closer together in that Spotify has like a rather large podcast section now. Uh, there's so many different kind of audio on-demand services now, like Google Podcasts after launching there a couple of weeks ago, where your podcast is also available to subscribe to. How do you see podcasts continuing to develop? And is it a case of they're a constant aside to legacy media as they continue to kind of diversify services or do you see podcasting as laying the foundations for a different model i guess podcasts will kind of go the way that um newspapers which put all of their content up online for free will think that they went wrong don't put everything up for free i think Mm. a lot of the big ones will like go to patreon or they'll ask for a subscription fee they're able to do that because they're more regular and maybe more general, like, I mean, there's a couple of soccer ones that I wouldn't hesitate to um, give money to. I'm mm-hmm. almost surprised that I haven't had to. Yet. Yeah, it's kind of like, let me support you. There's yeah. so many in America as well that I listen to, like the Ringer network of podcasts is like, there's so many great quality ones, so many average ones as well, but yeah. there's so many good ones too that I'd happily support it. And yet they haven't uh, asked for my money one way or another. In Ireland, we have... Fine Boys podcast, which is probably the biggest one. The biggest Patreon success story, too. Yeah. Um, Irish people have a graw for talking and listening. And I think that um, 
attracting an audience might be the hardest thing attracting a big audience where you can actually think of this as a job is the hard thing um i don't know if uh it'll be possible for maybe like more than 15 podcasts made in ireland to be supported by a patreon model yeah. for lack of another option um or direct subscriptions or something like that but i do think that some will try to charge money but there's also the live aspect as well a lot of them are doing live appearances and charging for um um, their shows as well to be on the stage you mentioned the dublin podcast festival where like i mean it's such a weird thing it's like i don't know half the podcasts that are up there but it's almost a word of mouth thing it's like people ask you know what tv show are you watching now people have started asking like what podcast are you talking about now that's the best job that's the best um that's the best outcome that we could hope for in terms of like it being added and normalized to the pile of media that people are consuming. Yeah, um, and I think that Irish music podcasts have created a nice little sphere for them. I don't know if they're too, you know, is is it big enough for like four or five, which I think there is at now, where else people can go with it. I've, I was talking to someone who was trying to start a song exploder type podcast for Irish acts and I was like, yeah. there's so much work involved in that. Are you actually going to be able to do it? That's the other thing as well, in that obviously we can sit here and talk about how podcasts will add to the artist discovery experience. But there's also that idea of, you know, finding people that are willing to put in the work, etc. to do so, and also then transmitting that to a wider audience. What role do you see podcasting taking specifically in artist discovery in a Spotify, YouTube era, etc.? The long listen, the curated broadcast. I, th- I think it's interesting that artists have started podcasting as well. George Ed- George Ezra has started a podcast where he talks to like, the biggest pop stars in the world because mm. he's able to. And that's got a massive audience, obviously. Um, and Irish acts have also started kind of podcasting themselves. It's almost... Uh, you know, like they're talking about themselves in songs that they've done, kind of giving a new um, uh, avenue to the listener. Um, you know, you know, on websites and stuff, they do like uh, an artist goes through their album song by song, telling them what it's about. Now people are doing like bands are doing um, song by song podcast episodes. Wyvern Lingo and Melty Brains are the two who jump to mind. I don't know if that's something that's going to uh, increase in popularity, but I think it's an interesting idea that it gives this new look on an artist like there's only been a couple of episodes of Melty Brains and Wyvern Lingo's yeah. episodes so I'm interested to see how far they can actually keep it going because you know they have to do all of the promo as well they have to do all of the interviews too so it's like when they don't have to talk about themselves will they actually want to that's the question when we come back we'll talk a little bit about upcoming episodes of the TPOE podcast but right now you've got two cuts from the brand new Literally a Failures Volume 2 compilation released this past Friday and with a launch gig on the 21st at the Roundy uh, who's on the billing for the launch? Uh, these two bands are and a band from Dublin called Nerves with two V's you got the Sunshine Factory with a new cut called Interloper and Any Joy any well. joy with suckers. Yeah, so these are from uh, Litany of Failures Volume 2. It's uh, this compilation of 18 tracks from around Ireland, Northern Axe, Dublin Axe, Galway, and these are the two Cork Axe. Uh, it's kind of uh, looking at independent indie pop punk uh, music that you might not hear on the airwaves. And it's a really, really great listen. There's some tracks in there that I think are really, really 
great and deserve a wider audience and I'm glad that I'm able to play these two cuts from Cork. So we got The Sunshine Factory with Interloper followed by Annie Joy with Suckers taken from A Litany of Failures Volume 2 here on Red on Red.
Annie Joy with Suckers, taken from the recently released A Litany of Failures Volume 2 compilation, available at your friendly local independent record shop. This is Red on Red, and we are still joined in studio by Owen O'Sullivan of The Point of Everything. And before we wrap up, Owen, what have you got coming up for us in the next couple of weeks? I had just working on the podcast, really, you know, just trying to uh, force myself to do more interviews with people. I've got an interview with Danny, who's from a band called Shrug Life, who put together a, a litany of failures. Volume one. Volume one and two. And so that's coming up shortly, if it's not up already online. And yeah, just kind of plugging away at that and plugging away at the online thing. Like, keep checking the point of everything um, to see whether I actually do continue my idea of writing more long form stuff it's tough out there kids and it surely is twitter at tpoe blog for what i think on the latest uh, beyonce album that's a wrap for this week's episode of red on red cork's new music podcast from redfm.ie thanks very much to ono sullivan from the point of everything for coming into us this morning thanks for having me mike and thank you very much for listening if you like what you're hearing please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review on itunes as well as google podcasts and other audio on demand platforms Please share this on your social media and make sure to check out all the artists featured online or at an upcoming gig. And if you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen in to Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish on Cork's Red FM 104 to 106. Owen, you're leaving us with Elaine Malone's recent single, You. Yeah, she's uh, just a super talented uh, young act uh, from Cork who I'm really excited to hear more about. It, it never really goes away, this like idea of like the city producing these great new acts she's someone I can't wait to hear more of over the course of 2018, 19 and so on this is it we're going to hear from Elaine right now so this is her new single You this is Red on Red and we'll talk to you next week
Red on Red.